thank you guys uh, for for loving us well. Uh, it is an honor to serve, uh, and of course, I could not do everything that I have the privilege of doing without uh, without Zach's help. And so, my thanks to him. Uh, my thanks to Angela, our, our church secretary, who uh, who of course isn't here. Um, and also, my thanks to my wife, who is my hero. Um, she uh, she shows boundless patience uh, when I call to say uh, I'm going to be home later than expected, um, and uh, almost to the almost to every every time um, she says that's okay. And so um, I love you. Thank you very much. So, all right. Um, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you would uh, turn with me to Luke's Gospel. Uh, we've been uh, we've been studying the life of Jesus, and my hope is as we go through this book is that we're actually getting to know Jesus. We're going to look today at a, a well-known passage uh, in Luke fifteen. Starting in verse 11, but uh, at least well-known maybe to some of you. Uh, You may have heard it. You may have read it. uh, You may have even heard a sermon on it. But uh, but this but this morning I'm going to ask that uh, that we read it with fresh eyes, that we hear it with fresh ears, uh, and that God really brings the the core truth of this passage home to our hearts, uh, so that we would be a different people. Uh, so that we would be a different kind of people, a different kind of church, because that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to here. So, uh, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, And took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. But no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, begged him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. But you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting. It was necessary to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's ask for his help in understanding and applying it to our lives. Father, we pray again that familiarity would not breed contempt, that we wouldn't simply gloss over the story if we've heard it one time or a thousand, but that we would hear what it is that you're saying to us through it. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our hearts. And pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, in the, at least in the world of comparative religion, uh, the, uh, the prodigal son is not, this story is not unique to Christianity. Uh, there is actually a, virgin, a version of this story found in Buddhism. Uh, it's located in what's called the Lotus Sutra, one of their sacred texts. Uh, and here's how the story goes, and I, and I tell it, I summarize it, just so you can see, uh, so you can appreciate the difference. Uh, similarly, uh, you have a son who leaves home, uh, and he's gone for a number of years in the story, and in that, in that time, the father grows very wealthy. Uh, but the son uh, spends his time traveling around and actually uh, is in poverty. Uh, and one day they happen to be in the same place, uh, but the son does not recognize his father. His father is aged and he's also very, very wealthy. But the, the dad recognizes his son. Uh, but when he calls out to him and tries to bring him in, uh, the son is afraid. He, he thinks that this man wants to arrest him for loitering. And, uh, and so he, he runs away. Uh, and when he's restrained, he actually uh, passes out. And, uh, and so the father decides he's just going to let his, his son go. He, he kind of develops this plan. Um, and what he does is he, he sends uh, some of his men uh, who... Who look, who, who kind of look the part. He sends them into the poorer part of the city to go get his son and just say, Hey, we've got a job for you. We want you to come uh, do this. It's just, it's really menial work, but we want you to, to come and, uh, and, and work for this guy. He's, he's a good man. It's a good job. And so, uh, they convince him to do that. 
Uh, and, and that's what he does. He works a menial job for his dad, unbeknownst, uh, un- not knowing that it's his dad. Um, and his father at one point actually even disguises himself and goes to his son and encourages him. Uh, and, and over time, the son, as he works for the dad, kind of works his way up. And the, the dad bestows more and more at, at one point even saying, you are like a son to me. And so this this son who was estranged is being brought slowly but surely back into, back into the home. Uh, and then finally, uh, on his deathbed, the dad finally reveals reveals as he's dying. He says, this is my son and, and all that I have now belongs to him. And so the son inherits, everybody's surprised and the son inherits his father's wealth. But the, the moral of the story, according to Buddhism, is that the father is able to observe the son basically making up for it, right? He, he is, he's able to work himself back into, into the family, and that's where Christianity diverges from everything else on the planet. Because that is exactly the opposite of what happens uh, in this parable. And it's what, sets, it's what sets Christianity apart from everything. See, my, my hope in looking afresh at the life of Jesus is that we would actually listen to Jesus. We would actually hear Jesus and know Jesus. Because here's, here's the danger that we're in. We think we know God. Or we think we know some things about God. Some of us have been around religion our entire lives. And so maybe we think we know God. But in reality, uh, we embrace a religion rather than God himself. Or, uh, if we're not religious, if we haven't been around this our whole lives, if we're not church people, we think we know some things about God or about Christianity. But we go our own way. We reject religion altogether because we assume, uh, we assume some things about God that are not true. Uh, in both cases, in both approaches, whether it's religious or non-religious, we're making assumptions about God and what Jesus shows us right right here in this parable is that you don't know God the way that you think you do. That whether you're religious or you're irreligious, you don't actually know this God. And so uh, while uh, this parable has historically been called the parable of the prodigal son, the reckless son, uh, there's actually three characters in this story. Uh, and the younger son, the reckless son, is only one of them. This parable is actually the third of three in this chapter that are all about lost things. There's lost. There's a lost sheep and a man who goes after it. There's a lost coin and a woman who turns her house upside down to look for it. And here we have a story about two lost sons, not just one. So we're going to look at each one of these characters in turn, the younger brother, the older brother, and the father. Let's start with the younger brother. One of the things that Jesus loves to do in these parables is he loves to shock his listeners. And the first shock comes in verse 12 when this younger son approaches his dad and says, Hey dad, you know that inheritance that's going to come to me when you die? I want it now. And so the younger son, uh, at least in a family of two, 
The older son would have been, uh, he would have been heir to two-thirds of the property. The younger son would have been heir to a third. And so this boy, in effect, says, hey, dad, go ahead and treat me like you're already dead and give me the stuff that I, that I deserve, right? Whatever's coming to me, that's what I want you to give me right now. And what's even more shocking is that the father actually does it. Because custom would have said that, that this dad should have kicked this son out of the house. Maybe even with some violence. Right? That this, this son had earned the right, by asking this, this son had earned the right to be booted out of the house. He had basically looked at his father and disrespected his father and said, you're dead to me. And the father's maybe even right response his legal and customary response would have been, no, you're dead to us. Out you go. But he doesn't do that. He goes through the painstaking process of converting his property uh, into some liquid means so that he can actually give it away, right? Because it's not like, he, you know, he doesn't cut him a check and send him on his way. He has to take the property, get it valued, convert it into a means that this kid can take with him. And he doesn't. He goes through all that effort and he allows his son to go. And the son packs his bag and severs ties and heads off to the far country. And Jesus tells us that while he's there, he squanders everything he has in reckless living. He pursues freedom. He's free of his dad. He's free of cultural restraints. It's time to cut loose. And so the party lasts... At least as long as the money. But then when the money starts to run out, so does the party. And you can imagine so do the women, and so does the wine, and so do the friends. And then nature adds insult to injury. A severe famine happens. And so now, not only does this, does this kid not have any money of his own, uh, but now he's stuck in this country where he doesn't know anybody, he doesn't have any food, and so he has to uh, he has to hire himself out to one of the farmers there, one of the pig farmers. And so this boy now has to go and and work. And I've heard that uh, I've heard that pig farming is a smelly business. Uh, I've never been around a whole lot of whole lot of hogs, uh, but I've heard that that they stink. When you get a whole lot a whole bunch of them together, they stink. All right. Uh, Add to that that for a Jewish person, uh, the pig is an unclean animal. Ceremonially unclean, they didn't eat uh, pork, they didn't use pigs for anything, they weren't proper sacrifices. And so even by association, uh, not, not only is he physically unclean, but he's also spiritually unclean. And so there he is, uh, feeding pigs, and he's, he's so desperately hungry... He wants to eat pig slop. He, he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. I want, you to, I want you to catch the dramatic fall. This young man had everything. And through the course of his, uh, per, his reckless pursuit of freedom, he is left penniless and ashamed and alone in a pigsty. And maybe you think... That's exactly what, is, what he deserves. And you would be absolutely right. This man has gotten exactly what he deserves. The freedom that he was looking for, he did not find it. He pursued it and found something altogether 
different. Uh, And maybe that's the story of your life. Maybe you're the person who said, to heck with God, to heck with religion, I want to go my own way. And you've pursued freedom to its end. And, and maybe, and maybe you're not there yet. Maybe, maybe you're pursuing it right now. And you haven't yet reached the end of your rope. There's a, there's an implied warning in Jesus' words. That the pursuit of freedom apart from God will lead to ruin. As it does for this young man. But, He comes to his senses, it says in verse 17, and he develops this plan as he sits there in the muck of his own making. He remembers his father's house. He remembers that the day laborers, the hired hands in his father's house, the lowest lowest men on the totem pole, that they're better off, that they have more food than he does. He's perishing with hunger. And so he develops this plan. He knows that he needs to uh, go before God, go before his father. In verse eighteen, he says, "I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father, and I'll tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you.'" Right. So, so he admits his sin, uh, both before God and his dad, and that's true, and that's good. He's right in what he says. Uh, And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Also true. This young man burned every bridge on his way out of town. He has no right to be accepted back. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He has no rights anymore in his father's house. And so his plan is to basically just be accepted back as one of these day laborers. Not even, not even a household servant who's, who lives on the property. He just wants to be the guy who's occasionally hired. For special occasions or during the harvest season. That's all he wants. That's all he can expect. He has incurred a debt he cannot pay. And so the best he can hope for is to slowly earn his way back. And so he begins his journey back home. And that's when the action shifts. The perspective shifts from the son to the dad. And I want you to listen uh, to how the father welcomes the son home. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does that mean? But that he was looking for him. Scanning the horizon, waiting for his boy. And it says he felt compassion. And he ran to him. So you know, grown men don't run in Jesus' day. Children run. Teenagers run. But for a man, especially the, the owner of an estate like this, to run, that would be shameful. It would be embarrassing. He would, he would be debasing himself. But this father doesn't care. He hikes up his robe and he tears off out after his son. And when he gets to him, it says he falls on his neck. He embraces him. And he kisses him. Right? This is, this is so much more maybe than we would expect. 
Imagine you were in these shoes, that you had done what this man did to his father. What kind of, what kind of welcome would you expect? Maybe dad on the porch tapping his foot. I was wondering when you'd come back. I've got work for you to do. Yeah, you can make it up to me. Here's the list. But not this father. He runs and he embraces and he kisses the son. And the son begins his spiel. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the son cut, I mean, the dad cuts him off. He calls out to the servant and says, bring the best robe. Bring the best clothes. Put shoes on his feet. Bring, bring the ring. Right? This, this son who's covered in mud and, and manure, he's clothed in the father's robe. His, his bare, nasty feet given sandals because slaves don't wear shoes, but owners do. He's given his dad's ring, the sign of authority. It would have had his seal in it. And then the dad says, go get the fattened calf. And you need to know in Jesus' day, uh, you didn't eat meat every day. You, you saved meat for special occasions. And particularly the fattened calf. That, that was a special piece of meat. And it was, and it was saved for special occasions. Very expensive. Uh, you would have invited the, not just your family, but the whole town to come to a celebration with the fattened calf. And that's exactly what he calls for. He says, go get the fattened calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. And why? Why does he go through all of this trouble, he says in verse 24? Because my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And so, the lost son returns home and they begin to celebrate. And that's usually where we stop. And it is a beautiful picture of God's compassion. The, the filthy son who deserves nothing from his father is restored and welcomed back to his full rights. He's welcomed back as a, as a son and they throw a party for him and it's wonderful. And typically we stop there and we say, isn't God's mercy good? And it is. But that's not the only person in the story. There's another son. There's the older brother. And he is the contrast to the younger in every way. Because while the younger one... And if you're an older brother, particularly a firstborn, uh, you may particularly resonate with this. While the younger one has been off playing, the older one's been working. He's been doing what he's supposed to do. And so, he's coming in from the field, and it says, Jesus says he hears the music and the dancing. There's been some loud dancing. This was not a Presbyterian party. It was, it was loud and it was raucous. And so he grabs one of the servants and says, Hey, what, what's going on? And the servant tells him, he says, Your son has come home and, uh, and 
your father has killed the fattened calf. And the older brother says, that's great, I can't wait to see him. No, he doesn't. says he's angry. He's angry and he refuses to go in. And you need to know that that would have been just as disobedient and shameful. That that in refusing to go into the party, that now this older brother is shaming his father. He's embarrassing his father basically by pitching a fit outside. And that's the, that's the ironic twist of the story is that the, the inside brother, the one who stayed, is actually on the outside. He stays outside. And what happens for the second time? The father goes down the path to get his son. But the response is totally different. Notice what this man says. Look at in verse 28. Verse 29, rather. He he answered his father, Look. Look here. All these years, I have served you. doesn't even view himself as a son. He views himself as a servant. All these years, I have served you. Look Look how hard I've worked for you. I've never disobeyed you. I've I've done everything right. And then he questions, not only does he point to his own record, but he also questions his father's generosity. He says, I've done everything right. And you didn't even let me throw a little party. You gave him the fattened calf, and I don't even get a little goat. Right? The least valuable animal in the herd. I've never gotten a little party with my friends. And then finally he belittles his brother. He says, but when this son of yours... He he won't even call him his brother. He just says, when this son of yours, having squandered your property with prostitutes, he doesn't even know. He wasn't there. There is no social media. Right? This kid has no clue what his brother's been doing in the far country, but he makes an assumption because that's what proud people do. And so he he points to his own record. He he belittles his brother. He questions the integrity and generosity of his father. Do you notice that the older brother and the younger brother really aren't all that different? Now their actions are different. One ran from his father off into the far country. And one stayed close at home and he did everything he was supposed to do. But neither one of them were close to their father. Both of them were only ever interested in what their father could give them. And never in their father himself. And so one rejects his dad by running off and recklessly wasting all his goods while the other is responsible and hardworking and moral. But when it comes to his father, he's just as lost. He doesn't want his father. He doesn't want his, he only wants his father's goods and he actually believes that he's earned them by being good. And so the irony is that his self-righteousness 
keeps him out. The one who is closest to the Father is actually farthest away. Let's look at what Jesus is doing. Back up just a little bit. I want you to see that these two sons actually represent two approaches to God. Look at uh, verse 15, excuse me, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, the very beginning of the chapter. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus tells this story. There are two approaches to God. There's the tax collectors and sinners who run away, and they're lost. And then there are the Pharisees and scribes who grumble and complain about God's mercy. And you get it, don't you? It makes sense, doesn't it? Where is the justice? Where is the fairness? We deserve better, don't we? But they're both lost. The older brother may have a better knowledge of God, the the scribes and the Pharisees, but they're not really interested in God per se. They don't really know God. So how do I perceive, how do I know if I'm the older brother? How do I know which one of these I am? I think I would ask, why are you here? What is the motive that drives you to come to church, to serve in any capacity? Do you perceive that others are less deserving of God's kindness than you? Are you jealous at what you perceive as God's favoritism? Are you, at a, are you in a bargaining relationship with God? I believe this, I do this, therefore I deserve this. If so, then you are in danger of being the older brother. But for both lost sons, there's only one way home. And that comes through the Father's welcome. So let's look at the Father again. He clearly shows mercy to both of His sons. It's most apparent uh, with the younger son. He's not stingy. He runs out to him. He fully restores him. He doesn't make him a hired servant. He clothes him like one of his own. He throws a party because he's glad. He's joyful that he's come home, that he's no longer lost. But he also goes out to plead with the older brother, the angry, bitter brother, inviting him to come in and enjoy the celebration for the very same reason. Your brother's home. He was lost and is found. But only one, at least as far as we can tell. You see, we would... We want Jesus to finish the story. We want Jesus to tell us that the older brother relents and comes into the party. But he doesn't do it. He just leaves us right there. Right, The scene fades to black as the father is pleading with his son outside of the party. What will the older brother do? What will the Pharisee do? Will he continue to be self-righteous and stuck on himself Will he continue to be angry and refuse to celebrate and boast about his own goodness and what he deserves? 
Did you notice that he doubts the Father's love? He says, you never even threw me a party. There's always one more thing to earn, one more thing to do. Always close, but never assured of the Father's love. But the right response, the one that the younger one gives, is he he recognizes, he remembers his Father's goodness. The hymn, Rock of Ages, would be his song. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. You see, what we really want is found in the Father, not in His inheritance, not in what He gives us. And as long as we try to keep Him at bay, whether through our rebellion or by our good works, we will never actually know the life that He gives. The kingdom of God is not for the healthy but the sick. It's not for the wealthy but those who are poor in spirit. It's not for the proud but the humble. There's one other way that this parable is different from the two that precede it. and Edmund Clowney points this out. In the first two parables, the man who goes after the lost sheep and the woman who seeks a coin, there's a seeker. Right? The, the person who's lost something goes after them. But in this third parable, there's not a seeker. The, the, the young son comes to his senses and goes home, but no one goes out after him. Why? Well, I think it's because Jesus wants to point out something to the older brothers. And that they should be the ones doing the seeking. That, that there actually is an older brother who does the seeking. And his name is Jesus. You see, he's never disobeyed. He's never left his father's side. Literally, everything he has done is good. The feast belongs to him. It is his. But, rather than demand his rights, he goes out to seek and to save the lost. He goes out, he, he goes out to find those who have run into the far country. And at the cost of his own life, he brings them home so that they can celebrate with the Father. David Dixon was a Scottish pastor and he was asked on his deathbed, how is it with your soul? His response was, I have taken my good deeds and my bad deeds and have thrown them together in a heap. And I have fled from both of them to Christ. And in Him, I have peace. So whether, wherever you find yourself on the religious spectrum this morning, if you're a rebellious younger brother running from God by avoiding Him, come to Christ. If you're the religious older brother, judgmental, angry, your theology's right, but your heart is all wrong. Come to Jesus. Repent of both the bad and the good. And run to Christ. Let's pray.
Father, thank You for this Word. I pray that the grace present here would pierce our hearts. God, I pray that our church would be transformed by this grace. We want the response of the younger brother. We want to be those who know their need. We don't want to pretend as if we have no sin. So would you bring it before us? Would you cause us to remember and reflect on your goodness? And Lord, don't let us be Pharisees and scribes. Grumblers who complain at the mercy shown to others and demand that we get something better. Help us to see that we are undeserving and that you welcome us home. Not as hired hands, but as sons and daughters. And all by your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship God with the giving of our gifts.
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May you know the love and grace of God demonstrated in His Son Jesus and applied to your heart by the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.